sunshine. Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. I only... You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into... The Wrong Station. It was pissing outside, and the red glare of taillights diffused through the rain-streaked, oily windows to redden every surface in the bar. She looked down at her drink and tilted it to watch the fluid stick to the sides of the glass. She wrinkled her nose. You like it? said the dwarf. She looked up at him. In the red light, the deep lines on his face and the overwrought definition of his bare biceps stood out sharp and black. It's fine. It's a specialty. Bess and Jennifer, try and find it anywhere else in the city. Just try to. If it was a specialty, nobody had told the bartender. When she'd walked in and asked what they had, he'd shrugged and gestured to the back of the bar. Backlit by the raw and flailing fluorescent bulb, there had been a half dozen glass bottles. In place of a label, three of them wore belts of masking tape that simply read, Grain Alcohol. The rest had been unlabeled. When she asked if they had anything else, the bartender had thought for a long moment, then reached behind a radiator to produce a dusty black bottle. She didn't recognize the language or what kind of berries were pictured on the label. She surmised that it was some kind of European fruit gin. When she shrugged, the bartender had unscrewed the cap, tearing open a crust of old sugar, and poured her a thick shot in a yellowed tumbler. For this... He had charged the absurd sum of 35 cents. I think it's gone stale. No, no, it only gets better with age. Old Jennifer, that's what they call it. Fine stuff, very fine. It only gets better with age, you see. Then why aren't you drinking it, Isaiah? He gave her a coy smile and lapped at his glass of mulk. Sometimes I'll partake. I've been known to partake. Yes, but I prefer mulk, you see. He wasn't lying. She could smell his drink from here, sour and syrupy, heavy and half-clotted in the glass. He drank it like water, even though its consistency was closer to cottage cheese. It's good for you. It makes you grow big and strong. By way of demonstration, he flexed his biceps. He was wearing a white t-shirt with the sleeves cut off, and the armholes went down almost to his hip crest, so that when he flexed, she could see the muscles sliding over his ribcage. He leered at her, still flexing. Like what you see? Down, boy. It chuckled and clasped his hands to his ribcage. We have fun, you and I. I can see we're becoming fast friends, great friends. From her friend, she had heard that Isaiah was sensitive. And when she had first met him, she could almost smell the volatility coming off of his skin. Though they couldn't have been more different as people, he reminded her in a strange way of her mother. That tall and sophisticated woman 
who wouldn't have been caught within ten kilometers of a place like this, but who nonetheless was exactly like this dwarf, in that she constantly teetered on the precipice of pathetic clinginess over a void of wild emotion. He sucked down on the rest of his mulk, and ran his tongue around the inside of the glass, striving to gather up the last thick legs of the drink. I'm going to have another. Are you going to have another? You should really have another. I'm still working on this one. Well, I'm going to have another. Suddenly, his eyes darkened. You don't think I'm drinking too much, do you? It disturbed her that he had been able to read her face. She had always prided herself on her inscrutability. In truth, she was worried about it. Three times in the last 35 minutes he had gone back to the bar. Obviously, some sort of arrangement existed between him and the bartender, because each time the dwarf had simply gone up to the little curdling cauldron on its hot plate at the end of the bar and ladled out his own cup, topping it up with a self-serve bottle of the grain alcohol. Each time he had come back more boisterous, with a broader smile, and had rested his hand at the table slightly closer to hers. It's none of my business. He beamed at her, showing wide-spaced teeth. You're right, of course. See, this is what I like about you so much. This right here. You have this face, you know. You seem quite judgmental sometimes because of your face, because of the way that your face falls sometimes. But in actuality, you have a great respect for how other people decide to live their lives. I notice these things, you know. People don't often realize how observant I am. They have their own conclusions about how I must be because of my height and whatnot. For example, they assume that I must not be as dedicated to fitness as I am. They think he's a dwarf. There's no way he can deadlift 230 pounds, but I can, you see? This is what gives me my edge. People underestimate me. They jump to conclusions. They make judgments. But not you. Even in spite of how your face, it's a very beautiful face. Don't think I don't think it's a beautiful face, but sometimes it looks judgmental. You're actually a very unjudgmental person, and that's one of the things that I like so much about you. He tapped the table, as though punctuating a masterful passage of eloquent rhetoric and then slid along the bench to the floor. Are you sure I can't get you anything? The mulk here is really quite excellent. It's a specialty. Just try to find it anywhere else in the city. Just try to. I'm all right. I'm still working on this one. Well, that's a shame. You like to nurse a drink, hmm? Well, maybe it's not your vice. He winked at her, slow and deliberate, and she felt a tide of self-hatred rise from her stomach up into the back of her throat. But she kept her face still. Actually, I will have another. She reached into her pocket for change. No, no, let me get it for you. Don't worry about the charge at all. You can get me back another time. No, really. No! His face darkened in the red light. I insist! She bit her tongue and put her hand back on the table. Fine. If you feel so strongly about it. Immediately, he was friendly again, and he trotted back to the bar like a golden retriever. Affecting absent-mindedness, She rummaged in her purse. In one of its pockets, she had a folding knife, spring-driven, even though that was illegal. Concealing it in the palm of her hand, she slid it into her jacket pocket. Here you go. He placed a second glass of Jennifer on the table in front of her. Don't worry about the cost at all. You can just get me back another time. He chortled and hopped back onto the bench across from her. She checked her phone. They had been there 40 minutes. Listen, is there any word from our contact? The dwarf's face fell. Well, not yet, but are you really in such a hurry? I thought we were having such a nice time. I thought we were having a nice time sitting here talking, just the two of us. Sure, but we've been here for a while. Is he coming or not? Lines deepened on the dwarf's large forehead, 
and muscles tightened in his jaw. You know, there's more to life, you know. There's more to life than this stuff. There's other considerations, you know. She met his gaze, and she showed him her teeth. Is he coming or not? Did you bring me here under false pretenses? He motioned a protest, but she cut him short. Call him. He hissed, like a lizard, and pulled out his phone. In the red bar, the phone's blue-white glow washed him out. It rang for a moment, and somebody picked up. Yeah, it's me. Uh Uh-huh. We're here. He glanced up at her. Do you have... She nodded. Yeah, she's got it. A noise could be heard from the other end of the line, and the dwarf hung up. He's just upstairs. He'll be down in a minute. She stared at him for a long moment. He squirmed. You mean, this entire time, we've been waiting for nothing? He changed tack from shame to rage, and snarled at her. You know, I thought you were different. He jabbed a finger in her face. I thought you were somebody real. I thought you were more than just another junkie. She slapped the hand away from her. Heads turned in the bar. Even the bartender looked up, something close to interest seeming to kindle in his empty eyes, before it guttered out and he looked back down. I don't give a fuck what you think, Isaiah. Let's get that straight. There is nothing that you could ever think that I would ever give a fuck about. Isaiah recoiled. He looked like he might cry. She stood up. With the back of her hand, she flicked over her drink, spilling black liquor across the tabletop and onto his lap. I'm going to the bathroom. When I get back, we're finishing this deal, and then I'm leaving. After that, we're done. You got that? He said nothing. I said, you got that? He looked away, but nodded. Good. The bathroom was filthy. The toilet paper dispenser had been torn off the wall at some point and never replaced. The seat was sticky. The door was too narrow for the stall, and in one corner a cockroach was being disemboweled by a kind of beetle she didn't recognize. She didn't wash her hands when she left. Back out in the bar, the dwarf had been joined by someone else who wouldn't really stick in her mind. She had an impression of somebody tall and male with black hair. She had an impression of red light reflecting faintly from a white shirt. That was all she could get. She sat down next to the dwarf. He had been crying, and streaks of tears shone red on his face like the streaks of rain on the window. His palms were black with Jennifer. He'd smeared it across the tabletop, and then across his own face and his shirt. She didn't care. The man across the table spoke. He had a surprising voice, a cold tenor that never seemed to rise above a whisper. Are you sure that you want to do this here, Isaiah? The dwarf sniffed. It doesn't matter. Nobody here cares. It's not even against the law. Do you have it? She was surprised by the urgency in her own voice. Her mouth had gone dry, and her palms were sweating. The contact looked at her, and she blinked, trying to see him clearly. Was he wearing sunglasses? She wasn't sure. It was like looking through a lens with the wrong prescription. He reached into a jacket pocket. Was he even wearing a jacket? And he produced a small bundle. It was some kind of soft chamois, smeared with yellow grease. Something shifted under the cloth. Money. She scrambled inside her coat and produced a bundle of American dollars held together by a buffalo clip. He reached out. No. Show me first. It was hard to get the words out. Her jaw was tight. 
The syllables felt thick as they poured across her gums. The contact shrugged, and with two fingers, flipped open the folded over top of the package. A thin wail filled the air, along with a pungent scent of rotted jungle fruits. Half swaddled in the cloth was something that looked like a human infant, but smaller, no more than eight inches long. The proportions were also off. While its head was too large for such an emaciation-bloated body, it was still much smaller than a human baby's. Its limbs, folded up close to it, had an extra joint and only two digits each, which produced that sickening, intoxicating smell whenever it rubbed them together. Its eyes were slits, it had no nose, and it cried out of unsettlingly plush lips. Oh, God. Money. The contact held out his hand, and she gave him the cash. Four months of rent, just for one use. He flicked through the money, not really counting it, just going through the motions. All right. He folded the cloth back over the little thing, muffling its cries. Gently, he pushed the package across the table. Accepting the warm bundle with quivering hands, she tucked it into her purse. Thank you. Sure. How can I get in touch with you? If I need to- I only work through Isaiah. At the end of the table, Isaiah was staring at his own hands, out of tears, feeling the stickiness of the congealed Jennifer between his thumb and index finger. What if I just paid his fee and left out I- I only work through Isaiah. The contact stood and was gone. For a moment, she sat there, opening and closing her hands, feeling the willpower it took not to use right then and there. Abruptly, she stood up. Hey! But she was already out of the door into the heaving rain and rushing back towards her apartment. Vaguely, she heard somebody call behind her, but all she could think of was the anticipation, and she was taken by surprise when Isaiah barreled into her, pushing her against the wall. Just wait, he said. He was holding her by the hips. Just stay for another drink. There's more to life, you know. There's more to life. Why don't you just come with me for a while? It was a look on his face she had seen before. It wasn't rage or menace, but just the sad, self-involved desperation she recognized as the most quietly dangerous look of them all. Please, just come with me. There's more to life than this kind of stuff. Without a word, she reached into her jacket pocket and flicked open the knife. His eyes widened, but before he had time to do anything, she slashed him across the face. He howled and fell to the flooding gutter, clutching sticky hands to the new flaps of his ruined cheek. She stood still for a moment and looked down at the knife. Close to her grip, the blade was serrated, and bits of cheek were still caught in the little metal scallops. In a moment, the rain washed them away. It made an insectile click as she closed it and slid it back into her pocket. Why? Why? Please come back. Please, I forgive you. Please, just come back. But she was gone. When she arrived home, she didn't even change out of her soaking clothes. Sitting cross-legged in the middle of her living room floor, in a spreading pool of water, she unwrapped the package. The thing in the cloth mewled at her as she lifted its feverish body out of the swaddling, and for a moment, some perversion of a maternal instinct almost made her pity it. But the smell, that unbelievable smell was too strong, and the craving was too great, and she ate it, pulling its raw, living body apart with her hands and teeth from the feet first, 
bite by rubbery bite, the little cries not stopping until she crushed the head in her molars, releasing oily nectars. Its flesh tasted like the smell of pollen, but with a faint sickly undertone of formaldehyde. For a moment she sat on the floor, disgusted with herself. Catching a glimpse of her reflection in a mirror on the other side of the room, she realized her face was slathered with the thing's yellow grease, and her blouse was pink with Isaiah's blood. Jesus, what the hell happened to you? But then the rush arrived, and her eyes rolled back in her head, and she let herself be carried away in the flood of ecstasy. A week and a half later, she found herself picking up the phone and dialing a number she thought she'd forgotten. At the other end, a familiar voice answered. Isaiah? Yes, it's me, baby. Listen, I'm so sorry about how things went last time. I just wasn't myself. Of course. Of course I know you forgive me. Listen, how about we get a drink? At the same place. And you could call your contact? No, of course it's not just about that. There's more to life than just that stuff, you know? The Wrong Station is created and produced by Alexander Saxton and Anthony Botello, with music composed by Alon Zitrin. This week's episode, Dive Bar, was written by Alexander Saxton. The user was played by Francis Loisel, and Isaiah was played by Alexander Saxton. You can tune in Sunday evenings for new episodes, and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play Music, and Player FM. You can also follow The Wrong Station on Facebook, Twitter, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.